You're listening to 90% Mental, Conversations with Grant Parr, Episode 80. Today, mental performance coach Grant Parr sits down with Chris Dishman, former All-Pro and two-time Pro Bowl NFL football player, to share how he overcame adversity within the game and his journey of transitioning out of football. Chris talks about what it took to play at the elite level and how he had to visualize his performances to stay competitive with the best of the best. This interview highlights the kind of mindset that one needs to compete at the NFL level and how an elite athlete can take the lessons from the game of football and apply them to life after football. Hey, Chris, how are you? Uh, Grant, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on your show. I really appreciate it. Awesome. Well, I'm excited. I'm, I'm excited for a lot of reasons because, you know, football is in my DNA and played for 13 years and, and having another former football player on my show, it's just, um, it gets me excited. And I'm really excited to just to understand your mindset as an athlete, you know, what it took to play at the NFL level, and then how you transition out of sport into coaching. So looking really forward to talking to you on my show. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. To give my insight. Beautiful. Awesome. Well, and also, and I'll share this. I, I grew up. Uh, I grew up watching you, and uh, so again, that's that's another honor is just um, to see what you did in your career, and then what um, and what you're doing now is just uh, it's an honor having your show. So I'm real excited for that as well. So the the first question is about mental toughness. So when you think about that, what does mentally tough mean to you? Mentally tough is always trying to do the right thing, you know, and also if something goes wrong of having the mindset to shake it off. You know, everyone obviously has to be more mental tough in the fourth quarter, but I believe you have to be mental tough in all four quarters. You have to uh, be able to concentrate, uh, play defensive back. A lot of bad things happen to defensive backs, deep balls, rep call, ad call. You just got to be able to shake it off and, and go on to the next play. And not only in just in playing football, in life and period. Life period, you have to shake things off, you know. Sometimes the right things happen that you don't want it to happen, but when they do, then God is just got to realize that God is still with you. You just have to shake them off and go and move on and keep praying. Move on to the next uh, next phase. Absolutely. And, you know, I'm going to talk about that, how you dealt with adversity and dealt with mistakes while you played. And when I think about mental toughness, I, I everything that you're talking about, it's, it's about conquering the emotional hurricane. So when you have a bad play or there's a bad call, whatever it is, are you gonna are you gonna sit in that emotional hurricane and be calm, right, in the eye of the hurricane, and be you know and get into your breath, or are you gonna allow these things that are out of your control get you out of focus? Well, I tell guys all the time that don't turn one bad play into two bad plays into three bad plays. Right. Because bad plays is going to happen, and, and just and just like bad things in life is going to happen. But if you sit there and dwell on it, and you sit there and hope and and pay the woe is me, everyone want everybody to feel sorry for you, or then then that one play going to turn into two, and two going to turn into three. The next thing you know, you out there looking for a job somewhere else. <laughs> so I don't know as long as I can get over one play, but I can't get over two or three plays back to back, right. you know, because you let that one play affect your whole game, then I know that you're not mentally tough, and I need a guy that's going to be more mentally tough back there and just shake it off and move on. You know, it's funny you bring that up, and we are going to talk about this, but it's uh, when you don't let go of your mistakes, like you're saying, that one, one mistake will turn into two and three. I, I call it the emotional bag of shit. 
you know, it's a kind of a shitty situation <laughs> to play in if you're if you're let if you can't let go of your mistakes that you have no control of. If you can't get the feedback on the information, you're you're, you're kind of stopping yourself and you're playing with shit on your back. So it's just and it gives it an image because you know when you're when you're emotionally pulled down and angry or frustrated, not only your body posture gets affected, but so does your breath. And so you can't play this game without your breath, right? So. Right, and well, that's a, that's a good way to put it. I never looked at it like that, Grant. But you know, that's I am kind of take that phrase from you and, and sort of <laughs> implement that when I talk to guys when I'm coaching them. But that is a great way to put it because, like I said, that one or two plays is going to really that one or play is not going to affect you. It's the two or three plays after that. That's what affects yeah. most negative plays. For sure, for sure. Well, when you think about when you reflect in your whole career. Can you share, and I know there's probably a ton of these stories, but can you share one moment or one story where you had to be mentally tough? Uh, well, I have a lot of them, but I can turn uh, one tragedy that's, well, I call it a tragedy. It's not life and death tragedy, but I call it a tragedy. Uh, 1993, when, we're, when Buffalo came back on us. Right. And facing the people in Houston, going to the grocery store, going to getting gas, I just going out period where it's all that people wanted to talk about. And I was just trying to get it over, done with, let's move on. <clears throat> but people seem to not to let it go. And to today, after 25, almost 30 years, people still talk about it. If you see, uh, you know, Coaches that are going against that man. When I was a kid, I was I went outside playing because I thought you guys had the game. But now, you know, when I came back in, you guys lost, and still, people still want to discuss it. And that's the area where I'm like, I just want to get it over with. So that's the area where when I was playing there and going out to the grocery stores and stuff like that, that's where I had to just be mentally tough because it was it was just took almost everything in me to not you know, tell people to, you know, mind their own business. Right, right. And I know they mean well. I know they mean well, but it was just like, I didn't want to hear that, that, that everyone had their issues. Well, your issues are not as big as my issues because I played in the game. <laughs> right. And that's what people sort of realize that players are not out there like, oh, I'm going to make this mistake. But, you know, we played in the game and when things happen, we don't want to keep Right. How did you deal with it in, in the team? Because it's it's one thing that to, to go through that loss and but then to make it it was your last game of the season, so you had to like you know the, the whole off season. You're reminded you're reminded by that that game. Uh, how did how did you mentally deal with that? Well, I'm not gonna say that. I, I could honestly say for the first week and almost week and a half or two weeks, I was playing the role with me. Everyone's so sorry for me, Carter. And Charlie, uh, I mentioned horses, I love horses. And I went out on my, one of my horse rides. And, and I just snapped out of it. I was like, what am I feeling sorry for? God has blessed me with a healthy family, healthy children, uh, great uh, supportive family. So why am I feeling woe with me? And I ended up going down, every Tuesday, I used to go down to the uh, Burn Center down there in Galveston. And, and I ended up going down there, and then I, it really snapped me out of it because it's like, here's children in the hospital right. fighting for their life. 
and I'm feeling the woe is me sorry card that I got beat in a football game. And I think that's where people have to put it in perspective. There's, there's people out there that's less fortunate than you, that's fighting for their lives, there's children that's uh, fighting for their lives, and you weren't about a football game. Right. Perspective. And, you know, it's just, yeah, you have to put everything in perspective. And, you know, you have homeless people out there and eating food, and you know, people don't know where they're going to pay their, their light bill or the car note or different stuff like that. And you appear on this beautiful horse riding in this, you know, nice area, and you're worrying about a football game. And uh, I think it was God coming down and telling me that, okay, I can take all this away from you, and then you have a lot more to worry about than a football game. Mm. And I think that's what snapped me out of it. It's like, it's a game. I got all next year to right. try to rewrite the wrong. You know? Exactly. Well, I think as athletes and also fans, and I preach this a lot with my athletes, uh, when you think about sport at all, it's what you do. It's not who you are. And I think sometimes fans and also athletes get caught up in this because sport becomes their identity. And so for you to go to a grocery store and then feel that, that tension or feel you know, deal with whatever what people were saying, I think sometimes people have to understand that sport is what you do. It's not who you are. And I think it's really important to kind of to, to make those two a clear cut for the athlete and also for the fan. Well, Grant, if, if people will understand like that, playing sports <clears throat> would be a lot easier. And with all this fantasy football now, and people get mad because this person got hurt, take right. away from their points, it t- it's taking it overboard more than anything. And we've got to realize this: this is a sport. You know, it's it's not our lives. Like you said, it's not it's our life. It's what we do. It's just like it's some, if you make a bad decision at your job, am I going to come on your job and cuss you out and be mad at you because you made your bad decision at your job? This is a job that we have. We love playing the sport. I love playing the sport. I would do this every single. If I had, if God said, "Okay, I'm gonna give you your years back in the NFL," will you do it again? Yes, I will. I would do it again and again, no matter what the outcome of the games, no matter what. I would do it because of the spirit of competition uh, and just the love of the game itself that I like. It's just the competitiveness. It's just the camaraderie. It's just everything in, in, a, in a bag of chips. I gotta say. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> well. When you look at the, you know, the era that you played in and that brand of football, and you look at today's brand of football, do you think there's a difference in mindset, to, you know, between the two eras of football? Oh, by far. Oh, yes. By far, it's a huge difference. For one, that's a little kind of bad for you guys, you don't know how to tackle. You know, if I, if I get the guy too hard, if I don't get a flag, I look at a flag. If I hit him hard, I'm gonna find me kicked out. And I saw a college game this last weekend where the guy hit a guy and they, he got caught with Target and he got kicked out of the game, which he did everything that defensive back coach I would tell him to do again. Right. You know, he didn't hit him with his head, he turned his head, he hit him with the shoulder, but his head, shoulder hit his head, but the quarterback was sliding. I mean he haven't came out to a full slide. So if you go over top of him and you don't, if you go over top of the guy and he don't slide, he continues to run for a touchdown. So it's, and then one of the plays, the guy was targeted and he should be kicked out. But, you know, you, I think we give too much of today's sport, you know, 
these guys are signed up to pay the sport, just like I signed up. And whatever happens, happens. Right. You know, I don't want no one to get hurt. I don't want no one to test them. I don't want no one to do nothing like that. I, you know what I'm saying? But a true target, and that's what they have to cipher. What is a true target? If you go helmet to helmet and you need to blow your head and you come up with some type of force, then that's target. But accidentally, if you try to, you know, just tackle the guy and you, you accidentally hit his head, that's not target. That is called football. That's the game of life. No matter if it's football, basketball, soccer, even in golf. You, you play, you walk the course, you have these heavy backs and knees and everything else. That's what you. That's what the sports you sign up for. And not. And just to kind of piggyback on what you're saying, I think because I played football for a long time. Now I played quarterback, but I but I understand the game and I've played it for a long time. And I feel like, you know, in today's era of football, because of the rules, you know, football is about it's about reading and, and reacting, and and it's putting it's putting the football player at risk to think too much. Because they need they need to react, right? They they need to read and then react. And when you're actually, you know, am I going to hit them high? Am I going to hit them low? Am I? They're thinking too much through a process through a process that 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 the football needs just to football player needs to react, not think about, because it can hurt them as well. All right, and that's the man. Also, then you hit one and you get a fine, fifty thousand dollars. He's like, I'm not doing that again. Because right. then the coach is telling you that, hey, you got to tackle, you got to do this, you got to wrap up, you got to come down with balance. We preach balance, we preach tackle. Uh, and then the guys like that, the catch 22, like, I got a family to see. I can't keep taking 50000 $75,000 hits on a, on a simple hit that you're telling me to do. Right. So then, that's why the tackle in the ass goes down is so bad. Because I see what the guys are looking at. They're like, I'm not hitting this guy that hard. I'm just gonna to try to get him down the best I possible can. And that's what and, and, and that's what they need to somehow manage is the actual outcome of what is targeting. Sit down, get a general rule, not even don't get a general rule, get a specific rule, this is targeting. That way the refs and the coaches and the players are all on the same page and it'll make the game much better. Yeah, it's just it's uh it's just yeah it's gotten too sensitive. But I understand, you know, we want to take care of our players and give them longevity in life and after the game. But I I think it's just I, I played for a long time and it's to me it's a beautiful violent game. And I was a quarterback and I actually had to deal with a lot. Um, you know, considering being a quarterback my whole life. I mean, I've had two hip replacements on the same hip, and uh, and went through a lot of just mental stuff um, and physical emotional stuff from that. But I don't you know. I signed up for it, and I was a quarterback. So I think it's just, um, I don't know. I mean, I, I appreciate where the NFL is. I appreciate where, where perspectives are because we want to take care of our players. But at the end of the day, it's football. Like, let them play football. You're right. People are getting kind of oversensitive about about the sports, about the game of football right now. And it's just, you know, I don't want to take it back when, you know, when I was watching where you can grab the guy downfield, he can grab his face mask, you know, when he uh, did different stuff like that, it was, you know, too violent, I think. But someone is just overreacting. I think everyone is kind of getting too sensitive about the matter of what it should and shouldn't be. Exactly. No, I feel you. Now, I, I want to get into your mindset, because uh, I can only imagine being a defensive player, 
your mindset changes before you step on the field. So when, when you think about your mindset, how would you categorize your mindset? And then did you transform into something or did something click um, as far as when you stepped on the field? I call it the warrior mindset, but was there a transformation for you before a game? Oh, yes, you have to. You sit in your locker and you think about all the plays that you have to take, the plays that you are trying to accomplish. And you think about your opponent, who you're going up against. Uh, you think about how Jerry Rice reacts to different things. You see his stance. You look at his uh, when he running his out routes and in routes. You look at different stuff like that. Uh, when you face a guy like Michael Irvin or Andre Reed uh, or guys like Tim Brown, you so, know, uh, uh, James Taylor, when you're facing those guys, you know Taylor is different than Rice. Rice is different than Michael and Michael Irvin, and Irvin is different than Andre Reid. So you try to get what work on one and see if you can work on another. Then I'm going to try this and try that. So you go over all the stuff that you think, thinking about in your mind of if we call man call or zero coverage, we can call out this. How, how am I playing? I'm going to play on ball first, I'm going to play point first, because out on the edges is a game within themselves. The game within the game, and you have to play the game out there as well as the game that you're playing, because uh, you cannot give the quarterback the same read, you cannot give the receiver the same read. So you have to constantly change up. But when it comes down to that third and crucial down, you gotta go back to your bread and butter, look at what got you there. And that's what I usually do that with my mindset. Of, like you said, with the word your mindset of is kill or be killed. And and I'm not literally it's not not literally kill. No, you're in battle though. The mindset in battle of kill or be killed. And that's the mindset I had. And that's when you know, you try to stay as calm as possible and then once you come back out, you go out, stretch, do all that, come back in, then I usually always and I know it was something crazy. But uh, I always always change my thigh pads and knee pads when I come back out in for the final um, for the final game before the game itself. Really? And it was something that I did, and that clicked. That all right? It's game day. It's game time. You know, my first I used to go out there with my big thigh pads, my big knee pads, and go out there warm up, blah, blah, blah. And then when I come back in, I used to change to my thin iPad to the thin iPad. And that somehow triggered my mind. I tricked my mind to say, it's game time. You know, it's skill or be chill. Yeah, it was something that was skill or be chill. And uh, it triggered my mind of, I'm not taking no prisoners today. I'm going to rattle the field. That's the way I played. Wow. And, um, well, so I know it sounds crazy, but that's, that's something that triggered my mind to, uh, to know that was the, the game is on. <laughs> I think it's great because, you know, when I'm working with players, I, I talk about their switch. Like, what is it? What switches them on when, whether if it is for practice or for game, where they let go of who they are, they let go of relationships, bills, whatever it is, and they're totally committed and immersed to the role as an athlete. And there's the, and everyone has a different switch. And and I always I love asking this question because there's people, man. There's some really f- cool stories that I've heard. Uh, but for me, it's like when I was going through my progression of how I put on my pads. As soon as I put my towel right in front 
of of my you know my crotch area. As soon as I tucked that in and looked in the mirror, it was like it was like a Rocky song came on. Like it was just boom, <laughs> that was it. And then typically when I stepped on the green grass, because I taught myself how to do that in practice. Like as soon as I stepped on the field, that was when it, it was like it kind of was game time for me during practice because I used that as a, as a cue. Um, and right. so, yeah, so it's just it's just funny what what people do. Like Jeff Reed, um, the kicker for the Steelers. This was something that he did. It was more of a routine, but kind of similar to what you did. After every half, he would go, if he missed a kick in the half, in the first half, he'd go back to the same place and kick it three times. And then he'd come back into the locker room and he would actually change the sock on his kicking foot. And I was like, (laughs) yeah, Mike, why'd you do that? And he goes, because it was a new game. It was like, it was, I I had to kind of refresh my foot. So I was like, ah, interesting. Yeah, but it's, it's, it's kind of crazy what, what players do and different style, style players take just to get that restart. And just like anything else, you know, of course you can't change some, some things in life, but it's only God's word and God's will what happens. You just have to, like you said, keep moving forward and keep pressing forward. And, yeah. Um, because for you, it's going to come to you. Yeah, for sure. You just got to trust the process, right? Yes. You know, you you brought up and it was and when you were talking about this. This is why I love my job and love this show. Is that you brought up names that brought up my childhood. Uh, so when you're when you bring up names like Jerry Rice, John Taylor, Irvin, like the greats, Reed. When you're playing against the best of the best, how much did you have to visualize your role to make sure that you're you're taking care of these elite wide receivers? Well, a lot, because I knew I was a key target. I played left corner, and I always wanted to, no matter if it was left corner or right corner, I always wanted the best receiver. That's how I judged myself as a player. And no matter if they go into the right side or left side, I always wanted that guy. I wanted to be that guy who shuts down that guy. Sometimes I was successful, and sometimes I wasn't. But I didn't back away from the talents. I never backed away from the talents. And I always wanted to cover the best receivers because I felt like that if we had a chance to win, then I have to do my job. I, I love the pressure of, of covering the Jerry Rice or Michael Irvin or Tim Brown or Bad Moon Rice or Andre Reed. <laughs> yeah. You know? I love it. <laughs> or, Michael, or Michael Haynes. You know, I, I love the pressure of covering those guys because I felt like in order for us to be successful, I have to do my part. And I put all the pressure on me as a defender to do my part, to come up with the big pass deflection or the intercession or, the, or the come up with a big tackle or come up with a great coverage or have a quarterback scramble and someone else get the sack. Right. You know, that's why I try to pride myself on, on mostly of coming up with the plays. Sometimes I was successful, sometimes I wasn't. And the times that I wasn't successful, I went back and watched what I did wrong. Why was I successful? Where was my mindset at at the time? Was I thinking about this situation or was I thinking about something else? So I was, I went back and looked at every dissected, every possible thing possible that what I did wrong. And then the next time, okay, I can see that. And that's why it has to be a quick turnover because if you have something happen in the first quarter, you know, okay, I did this, I did that. I can't do that anymore because he's expecting, but he may be expecting the counter. So let me try to do this and that. You know, it's just like I said, it's the game within the game that you have to play out there. 
and uh, try to be successful as much as possible. Well, how did you deal with, I mean, obviously you had a very successful career and you were covering, I mean, you still look at the greats. I mean, that era of, of wide receivers is amazing. So when there were mistakes, how did you deal with it? Do you feel like you were pretty good emotionally or did did some of these moments get the best of you at times? No, I felt like I kept my emotions in check. And, um, and that was the confidence and it's not cocky. That right. was the confidence I had in myself. They said, okay, I'm, you know, he got a good play on me, but I'm going to get the next play on him. And I just felt like that if he come back with another good play, all right, I have to get the next one. I just felt like I kept saying, okay, it's the next one. It's not about this one. It's all about the next one. And I've kept saying that it's the next one. It's the next one. It's the next one. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, that's I, it's beautiful that you said it because I, I preach that, uh, especially in a team sport, so what next play? Sometimes we don't have a lot of time to get emotional, and if we do, it's going to stop us. So you, to right. stay refocused in the game, it's especially if we need to got a, a more of a quicker game, like a basketball or a hockey, it's so what next play, All right? Mm-hmm. If, I can, if I can get the lesson in the moment, great. If not, I'll go back to film. I'll go back on the sideline when I have a chance, and then I'll get the feedback and move on from it, but it's just so what next play. Right, exactly. So you brought up all these these incredible wide receivers, is is there one, like, can you arguably say right now who was the best wide receiver that you had to cover? Oh, you can't, because if you say the best wide receiver, you got to go tandem. Who's the best wide receiver tandem we had to cover? But also played against Dan Marino and Martin, Martin Duper. Wow. So, <laughs> who can you, you say? Troy Aikman, Mike Irvin, uh, Alvin Harper. You know what I'm saying? You got to go. You have to go with the best tandem of receiving cores and quarterbacks, you know. I bet he gets some great quarterbacks, you know. Like I said, Dan Marino, Troy Aikman, um, Joe Montana. You yeah. know what I'm saying? So on and on in the era of quarterbacks also that, that face a great quarterback all, the, all practice, one and one. Yep. You know, so... Man. Yeah, so you have to go back with the quarterbacks versus, you know, quarterbacks in the receiving panel, which was the best. And it's hard to say because in a, any given Sunday, any time you play those guys, any time you play those guys, you could get burned. Right. You know, so. Wow, you're brilliant. And with our division, you know, excuse me, but with our division, you know, we were so tough with the Steelers and the Bengals and Cleveland. We was all in it any given year that any one of us could win the division. There wasn't no, like, one team had more than another one. Right. Well, yeah, the Bengals back then, you had Boomer, right? Yeah, Boomer Sasha. I forgot about Boomer. You're right. Wow, man. It's just, it is actually cool just to hear these names that you played against, um, you know, just competed with uh, at that level. It's really cool to hear, just hear these stories. When you think about you as a player, what do you think made you special as a player? My nursing, uh, my never give up attitude. I had an attitude that I wasn't gonna, I wasn't gonna give up until the final whistle. Right. I was no taking a tank. Uh, no matter if we can beat by fifty or win by fifty, I always try to play um, throughout. And um, I think, and to this day, like I said, I keep, I hate keep bringing this up, but I think that's what happened to us in Buffalo. Everyone got too comfortable. I thought it happened to me. Because I started loosening my pads up. But I'm saying, when we was going in halftime, I um, 
I didn't even tighten my pads coming out the second half. Wow. You know, as tight as I could. I just had them loose. I'm like, okay, they're going to be ball. I'm going to be trying to get interceptions. You know, it's my mindset switch from team, team, team to me getting interceptions. Right. And I don't know if everyone else switched their mindset like that, but I know my mind went like that. And once it started rolling, we couldn't get it back. And that was one of the things that I can say that if I had to do it over again, if God give me a do-over, that would be my do-over. I would keep my foot on the pedal and think about team, 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 yeah. and don't start to think about my interceptions of what I can do. I remember that game, and I call it the slide. It's especially when you're way ahead, and you know I've coached so many teams, been a part of teams, seen teams take their foot off the you know off their throat of their opponent, or take the foot off the pedal. And as you see this slide, it's what I call, especially the slide for you and your team was basically in a half. Like when you start to see things unravel, right? What were you going through? And, and if you can go back, I know you said that you'd have, you know, to go back at halftime, you'd have a different mindset and you'd put your, you know, your foot on the pedal. But as you're seeing this like unravel, was it surreal? Was it slow motion or was it fast and like, holy smokes, things are just falling apart right now? No, it was actually everything was going in. Some of, it, some of it was very slow and some of it was very uh, fast. Yeah. So it was, it was, I remember a different point on the field where Ray Childress and I looked at each other like, we in a dog fight right now. Huh? Mm-hmm. We both looked at each other like, yeah, we have to, we got to get out this dog fight because we're gonna win. We put ourselves in a bad situation, especially when they score twice. But I tell people it was instant replay back then with Don BB stepping out of bounds. Then we would have won that game. But <laughs> he stepped out of bounds and came back in and caught the ball which is illegal touching, but the ref didn't see that. Wow. So if it was instant replay then back then, then we wouldn't be having this conversation about this game. Right. Because we've been facing the Cowboys in the Super Bowl. You know? Wow. Wow. That's just cool to hear that. I mean, it's, it doesn't, from from your perspective, right? But it it's interesting, too, when you're a player, when you see that, like, you know, I'm always constantly teaching athletes, control what you can control. And I literally make them tell me exactly what is it in game day or during competition you can control. And so we always have to look at, you know, you can't control coaches, your opponents, the refs. And so it's really hard, though, like when you're sitting there like in a game like that, where you're just you're one game away going to the Super Bowl and it's and there's a call. So how, how does an athlete let go of that? decision when you have no control of it because I, I can only guess that some people were charged and and probably let it bother them well you have to because you let everything else around you suffer if you start so much worried about that play you know because when you come home guess what your five-year-old son a four-year-old daughter guess what they want to do yeah. They just know daddy's home and daddy is they want to play. They don't care about no football game. They don't care about <laughs> pouting. They don't care about right. you, uh, some guy stepping out of bounds. They don't even know what out of bounds is. They just want their time. You know, and that's what you have to take a, a kid's mentality. Uh, you just want your time, and that's what kids are. They just want their time to, to play, and they just want their time to hang out. I'm with daddy. They don't care about what happened in a football game or how it happened or why you upset or mad. It's the same. It's my time. I'm just, so you have to pay attention to me. Right. Let everything else go. 
And right. that's why I just focus of, you know, like you said, you got to control what you control. I know it's, it's easier said than done, but that's literally what you have to do. You can't go back and cry over spilt milk. You know, it's already spilt. You can't do anything about it anyway. It's what you're going to do. And I know it's an old cliche is you have lemons, you have to make lemonade. Yeah. So you just have to find something positive in every situation. Because every situation is a teaching moment. Yes. You know, that's what we don't really realize. And now that I'm 54 years old, I look back and I'm still learning the different stuff. I can look back and see that everything happened is a teaching situation. You know, uh, when Kansas City came back on us, it's everything a teaching situation. So that's why I just like to get up every morning and thank God that I'm, I'm up and be able to learn and have more teaching situations. Big time. And I love what you're saying because I always talk about crisis versus opportunity. If There's always an opportunity. You can get something good out of a, of a crisis. You just got to allow yourself. And if you don't allow yourself... You're probably stuck in that crisis, whatever that crisis is, right? So, when you, like what you're saying, if you learn from it, they're lessons. And I think that's, that's to me, when you're emotional, it's one of the hardest things. When you're emotional and pissed off and your game's not going the way you want it, how do you actually get the lesson in the moment? And that's why I think playing present, being in your breath, having good self-talk, you know, and training to do that in those situations allows that athlete to do that. I know sometimes I am. Um... I don't want to give them my coaching technique, but sometimes I go and I get after a player uh, just to see how he will respond and how he reacts. Because if he just keeps moving, moving forward, then I know that when the times get tough playing corner or playing defensive back, that he's able to push forward. If he starts responding to me and having a bad body language and right. just trying to walk off and hope and, and cry about it, then I was like, well, this is not the guy I really want out there playing defense back or playing playing defense, period, or just playing on a team, period, being on a team, period, because he cannot respond to things that's going negative. And, and that's what you have to be able to respond to, negative or positive things right? in, in the game of sports. You know, it's something great happening. Get an interception and run it back for a touchdown. You can't keep talking about that interception three plays later because right. you're going to give up one then. <laughs> you know? So you've right. got to be able to turn the situation uh, positive or negative. You've got to be able to keep, just keep that even keel and move on to the game's over. Now, after the game, you get your two or three picks. You can celebrate and thank God for those picks and move on. But if you give up two touchdowns, you have to do the same thing. Right. You know, you know what I'm saying? You thank God that you came out healthy and alive and you're able to play the next game or the next week. So Right. Well speaking of picks, what was your favorite pick of your NFL career? Oh, I can't oh wow, we read this. That's a Google <laughs> right there. Let <laughs> me uh take some time and think about that one. Uh well I guess it had to be my first one. Mm. And it was Ken uh, I think it was Ken O'Brien with the Jets. You know, my first one when, uh, with the Jets. Wow. I think those my have to be, you know, your first one has to be the uh, uh, good one. And also, uh, Denver, when Denver played, uh, picking off John Elway. Uh-huh. How could I did not mention Elway as one of the great quarterbacks in my time? Uh, picking off him and running it back for a touchdown. I think that was one of, one of the two that I think stay out. That's awesome. Yeah, I you know I had a guy I don't know if you know him uh, his name is Marquez Anderson he um, 
came out of UCLA and he played, uh, I think, in 2004, I think is when he got drafted to the Packers, played there for about four or five years and then played uh, for the Raiders for a couple of years. But I had him on my show and uh, I actually saw him talk at a conference and he was, you know, and he was talking a little bit about his journey as a football player. And he has this picture of, of making a pick in Lambeau Field against Tom Brady. And, <laughs> and so I asked him, I said, how was that? And he goes, by far it was like, he's like, I've had some pick sixes before, which are really cool. But he's like, when you, when you intercept the, the, you know, the best of all time, he's all, it's pretty cool. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. It's awesome. Well, I want to ask you one more question before we tra- talk about kind of your transition out of, of football and then what you're doing as a, as a coach right now. But I want to go back because I know these, these moments in your career, I can only imagine how special they were. So when you, when you think about the day you got drafted by the Houston Oilers, what was that like? And then what was it like when you were named All-Pro and then two-time Pro Bowler? Uh, it, it's exciting times, and you felt blessed to be able to people recognize you of what you've been trying to get at. You know, when I got that phone call from Mike Hollaback, uh, uh, God bless, rest his soul, that, um, with the Houston Oilers and telling me that they're about to draft me, uh, he handed the phone to Coach Saban, who was a defensive back coach at the time, uh, able to talk to Coach Nick Saban and say, he's telling me to get ready, come here with attitude. Uh, and the other the, the other team will be contacting me soon. You know, it's, it's, as a child, you dream of it, and you hoping and praying that it will happen, but then if it actually happened, you're like, okay, I'm here now, but I'm not going to mess this up. I'm not going to be doing nothing crazy. I'm going to stay level-headed. I understand that by the grace of God is why I'm here. Mm-hmm. And just pretty much trying to stay grounded as much as anything. You know, um, get invited to the Pro Bowl or and all pro is pretty much the same thing as now that people recognizing me as, as a good player, you know, because that's what you want. You want to be recognized by your peers. Uh, you know, not so much, you know, I know the fans buy tickets and do all this and just have the right to this and that. I know all that crap. But <laughs> I wasn't really doing it for the fans, more so. I was doing it because of the competitive of, of, of me, number one, uh, playing God's God's will and getting recognized as, as one of the best by your, by your peers. Right. That is more than anything. And that's what the Pro Bowl should go back to, is letting your peers pick it. Take this fan ballot out, you know, as should be people who play the game of, uh, that you play, the game of football, and then coaches. That's who should vote on the Pro Bowl. That should vote on the All-Pro. Because, as you know, as most of the sports writers are going to vote for players in their area. You know, that's, uh, it's, that's a given right. for the All-Pro. The all it's going to be whoever's in the area is going to get the most votes because that's what they want. So you need to take all that out and let the players and the coaches vote. And that's how you get to the two Pro Bowls and all pros. That's my opinion. I'm going to take it or leave it, but that's the way I see it. It was just a good honor to be able to say that now that your peers recognize you as a good player. And it's a better honor when you go into a game, and after the game, the offensive coordinator said, I wasn't throwing your way. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Yeah, that's the big honor right there. Right. <laughs> when I, I was throwing it away. So that's the respect factor that we all fight to get, that respect factor of of being that dominant player and saying that now they have to 
I said, I wasn't throwing your way. I told our quarterback, do not throw that way. Look over here first, unless go there last. You know, something like that. When a when coordinators tell you that, that's 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 huge. It was a big honor to hear coordinators tell me that. I can only imagine. You know, that's uh, that's cool. It's very cool. Well, when you talk about transition, you know, because I think this is a real topic, because uh, every athlete has to come to that point where they have to move on from sport. And when you transitioned out, I know that you're still in the game of football coaching, but what was it like for you? Because you hear all these stories of people, um, and good ones and bad ones, about transitioning. How was that transition for you when you left football? And what was it like on that day where you had to make that decision? It was hard because you got so much structure in your life. You know, uh, playing the game of football, playing the game of sports, have to be at meetings at, at 8 o'clock. You get up at 6 you get out the house, you get over there for meetings, you get in your hot tubs, you get you, you go look, watch film, you do stuff, then have your eight o'clock special teams meeting, you go through all your meetings throughout the day, you go to practice, then all of a sudden you go watch, you have your meetings after practice, then by six thirty, seven o'clock, you're on your way home. And you get up in the morning, do the same thing. So the structure factor was there. Uh, you know, and always have to be on being on time. And coaches used to say, if you're five minutes early, that means you're late. Right. And I, that stuck in my head because the first couple of weeks out, uh, the people just like, for instance, our guy who's supposed to be cutting the grass, he's supposed to be coming on a Monday. He didn't show up to Wednesday or Thursday. And I'm telling them, you told me he's supposed to be here on Monday. Well, I could. Well, you know. Well, I could just. I just showed up when I when I had time. No, I'm paying you for Monday. I'm not paying you to show up Wednesday or Thursday. It wasn't raining. It wasn't doing nothing. So you should be here on Monday. So I ended up letting that guy go. Our pool guy was the same way. You know, they just people show up when they want to. It wasn't. It wasn't cycling. I couldn't. Uh, I couldn't put that in my mind that people just can do what they want at any given time. And I was so structured that if you tell me Monday, it's Monday. If you tell me Wednesday, it's Wednesday. Unless it's an emergency. Right. I understand that. But you cannot tell me that you're supposed to be my grass on Monday, but you cut it on Wednesday. Right. <laughs> I know it was I know it's tedious and it was very uh, anal, but over the years I got better. But when I first retired I was very anal on time of being on time, of pressing, getting out the house and making sure everything was right and get the kids to school on time and be in the carpool lane, you know, getting frustrated in the carpool lane because I'm there the kids are five minutes, you know, I'm in the carpool lane and there's no way that this lane is moving fast enough for me. <laughs> so <laughs> you know, they're gonna be late for school. They're gonna be late. They're gonna be late. So it's different stuff like that that stresses you out. And like I said, over the years, I, I've gotten better, but it was tough at first. And that's what I saw was the biggest transition for me was able to be able to let stuff go. Well, you know, real quick, before I, I start talking about coaching, um, you brought up how, you know, being late for, you know, coaches would, you know, get upset if, you know, if you're five minutes before, you know, starting time, you're still late. Um, when you talk about like some of the, or when you reflect on some of the coaches that you worked with, like I'm going to throw out Buddy Ryan. How was it 
being coached by Buddy, and if you were to come late to a meeting, to Buddy Ryan's meeting, how would he would react? You wouldn't be able to get in. <laughs> really? He already had the door locked. He already had the door locked. <laughs> you know, wow. you wouldn't be able to get in. But if you do find your way getting in, you better slip in the back and sit down. But he he had such keen vision. I, I can if people kept saying that you can't see behind you. I think Buddy has the only vision of the guy who can see behind you. So she can walk in. He was like, um, "You almost missed the meeting, huh?" Like, no, I'm here. You know, like, just he can see behind himself. I'm like, how does God see me coming from behind? He's not even looking at me, you know? So, you know, it's just things like that. And even working with Glanville and stuff like that, he was always a time person. All coaches, period, it's time people. Yeah. You know, we're all about time because every, every minute of the day is precious to coaches. And I can see that now coaching, that every minute is precious. So we have to be, we have to start, you know, meetings at 8 o'clock. We have to start at 7.50. We have to try to steal that extra 10 minutes. Coach is all about stealing time. Stealing time of meeting, of uh, communicating with your guys, and making sure everybody's doing the right thing. For sure. And and what I love about, you know, when you, you know, what you were aware of when you left the game is uh, this time management, like the sense of urgency, being on time, and a uh, good thing and a bad thing. I say more, more of a good thing, but that's like when, when you look at football, that's why I love, I love sport, period, because it, it teaches us a lot of things. But the game of football teaches us so much, and we all, we all take things differently from it. And so it seemed like from a time management, sense of urgency, discipline, that's something that you got from, from the game of football. Yes, and managing people. Yeah. You know, uh, respecting other people's vision. Because we're in a locker room with different backgrounds, you know, different race, different cultures. But we have the, we have the I tell you, if the world could be a, a locker room, then everybody would be great. If this picture the whole world, this picture a great new place, this picture in your locker room, you know, if the world could be like that, wouldn't the whole world be great? Right. <laughs> because it's no, you know, you have fights, you have arguments, you have animosity, but... If you take that locker room for that week, and then bam, let's say Sundays or let's say college Saturdays, yep. wouldn't the world be a good on game day locker room? Wouldn't the world be a lot better? Because right. there's no animosity. Right. There's no animosity. It's you and your brothers is in that locker room. So just think if the world take that same mentality, have no animosity. It's just me and my fellow people that's in the world trying to be the best that we possibly could be on this given day. Right. Yeah. Just, <clears throat> you, you, I love it. That, I mean, you brought me back to my locker room, the culture of the locker room. And as much as that we're intense and everybody gets ready for that game, we're, we're all collectively together. Everything is peaceful. And I, I believe that because we love the game of football, like that word, we love to play football, that there's joy attached to that. So there can be a subtle or a ton of range when it comes to that emotion. But I think that's another thing. Like when you're in the locker room and you're with your brothers and you're connected emotionally and spiritually and physically, there's just this quiet joy that exists within the, the locker room. Right. All right. So coaching. So you transition out of football. Was it something that you just couldn't leave the game of football and this was your way of still staying uh, connected to the game? 
Um, actually, my first three years uh, out of the game, I went to the rodeo circuit. I followed the rodeo circuit. That's with pet horses and stuff like that. <laughs> uh, that grew my patience. And once I had grown my patience, uh, I started training guys. And then in 2005, um, I used to coach in Berlin Thunder. It was my first coaching job. And I went over there. I called Charlie Castle, who I had much respect for, and still knew, and told him I wanted to get into coaching. He gave me the opportunity to go over to NFL Europe with Berlin Thunder, connecting with the uh, there. And uh, that was my first coaching job. And after I left Berlin and coached in NFL Europe, I just went to coach. So I was like, whoever I can get a job with coming back in the States, that's where I'm going, no matter where it's at. I just wanted to coach. No matter if it was high school, grade school, peewee ball, I just wanted <laughs> to coach because I just loved it so much. Loved the coaching aspect of it so much because it puts you right there in the game, but not in the game. Right. You don't have to do the physical part. You don't have to do all the mental part. I'm like, oh, I love this. <laughs> I just have to do the mental. I can do the mental. <laughs> now that my body is aching, I'm going down more. I don't have to do nothing physical. You know, keep show every now and then, but hey, I love this. So this is this is me, and I just was hungry for uh, hungry for the coach, coach, coach. And uh, like I said, I coached there in '05 and Berlin Thunder, and came back to the states and coached Menlo College for '08 and from '08 to '13, I was in the San Diego, and then from '13 to '16, I was in Baylor. Took a year off to. I go be with my mom and dad because uh, they both were ailing. I didn't want to do nothing, just be able to be around them and spend time with them and get their house in order. And then I went to Montreal. I went over there. I went to your call football in between the, that. Uh, then I went to Montreal Alouettes. And then at the Alouettes, I was at Greece for a while. And then now I'm with the and an XFL New York audience. So uh, I think I have coached in every league, <laughs> you know, <laughs> NFL, Europe, NFL, NCAA. <laughs> I love it. And then I'm coaching the uh, CFL and now the XFL. So I think I, I, the only league I haven't coached in is the Arena Football League. So uh, I think I have touched every league possible to coach. Right. <laughs> and that's just me, period. I, I'll go beyond do anything just to get able to get a coaching job. And I just love the aspect of the X's and O's and of, of breaking down the receivers and breaking down the quarterbacks and having that person that you're coaching actually thirsting for knowledge and wanting how can he get better or coming into your office and sitting and talking to you, Coach, how can I get better? What I, what can I do? Or try this. And then the stuff that you give them actually work. And they trying it and they doing it. And they can and they now they're explaining to other players. Hey, do this, man. You need to do this. Uh, then that's where it's evolving to, and that's where as a, as a, as a person you can get the self satisfaction that God is giving you the knowledge. Then you have to pass it on to someone else. Totally. I, and I love that. I was a coach too, and and I, I love when you have that that uh, buy in from the athlete that is just assertive with their with their development. And it's funny because we, we talked about this on my podcast with Roger Craig, who you played with, uh, played against. And he, it was funny. He was like, you're either a hungry athlete or a starving athlete. 
And he was like, he basically said, guys like Montana, Rice, John Taylor, myself, Ronnie Lott, we were starving athletes, meaning that we were starving to get more, to get better more, to put more time in film room, to put more time in the, in the weight room. We were starving. And he goes, everyone's hungry, but are you a, do you want it? How bad do you want to get that information to get better? That's, that's a great way to put it. And uh, yeah, that is a great way to put it. If you're hungry or starving, you're absolutely right. I love the way you put that because, you know, I, I guess I was a starving athlete too. I just wanted it more. I just wanted to get better. I just wanted to come in and watch film and, and be the best, no matter if you after a loss or, or after a big win of what have I done wrong? What can I get right? Uh, uh, even after a big win, you always can learn something. Exactly. No matter what, so exactly. I I watched a TV show with uh, David Chappelle. Actually, he was being interviewed, and he said, and he was talking about his trial and tribulations um, earlier in his career. But he basically said that he said failure is informative, and uh, and when he said it, I was like, yes, because if you can get the lesson from yeah. it, right, it would ju- it just like rang true. So I've been using that phrase for a long time. <laughs> okay. So one more question before we sign off here. Um, when you think about like when you reflect on your whole football and coaching career, what do you think you've learned the most about yourself? Wow. Um, I have I have grown patience. I've always been an antsy person and got to do it now, boom, boom, boom. I have grown patience that not every player can get it right away, that everyone is – Everyone, and I don't like to call people dumb. They're not dumb. They just don't, they can't learn the same way you learn. Right. And my my fiance, Jennifer, gave me this personality test. And I'm an ESTP. It's a Myers Report personality. Yeah. And I think everyone should take that. Me as a coach have taken that, and I'm so much better coach now. That because I was trying to learn, uh, get everyone to learn my way. Well, my way is not always the best way. Right. You know, I have to I have to be able to cipher who is a walkthrough person, who's a person that can you can talk to and tell them, who's a person that you actually got to spend one on one time with and tell them. So I think that's what I've learned more about myself is that my patience and able to understand guys of how they learn how quickly I can get them taught and get them better. Got it. You know, I love it. Cause you know, when you're patient, you're creating more space, uh, more space for things to happen. You know, if you're coming from possibility and you're patient, um, that that's kind of my virtue. I, I think sometimes I get too patient. <laughs> I'm too relaxed. <laughs> but but it's self awareness that I think it's great that you've you've noticed that because the more patience you have, then you know for the most part you're a little bit more less stressed. But you just allow things to naturally happen. Right. Well, Chris, literally you've took me down a memory lane, and <laughs> and it's really cool to like to I'm honored to have you on my show just to talk about your mindset and your journey as a. Uh, you know, NFL player and not what you're doing with coaching. It was just, uh, it was a real treat today, and I really appreciate you being on the show. Well, Grant, anytime. Thanks for having me. I appreciate you having me on. It's, good. it's always good to talk football and talk sports and talk life in general. 
that the more that you can get out there and talk and tell people your stories and hopefully someone can get something out of my stories and make them a better coach, player, uh, husband, father, brother, or uncle, you know, cause that's what life is all about is reaching back to those who's less fortunate than you and giving, you know, and, and giving God's plan, just following in God's footsteps and on his journey to, to give back to others who's less fortunate to you and, if they can do whatever word I see can help someone, then I've done my job for today. I love it. That's awesome. Well, I really appreciate it again. Thanks for having. Uh, thanks for being on the show, Chris. All right, Grant. Have a great one. 